give yeah. salespeople carrots that they can use in their sales process. And I guarantee you, it's probably not a white paper. I'm Margaret Kelsey. And I'm Devin Bramhill. And this is Don't Say Content. And shout out to our producers at Share Your Genius. They're great at creating shows with strategic outcomes in mind. They've been with us since the podcast was just an idea, and they helped us bring it to life from strategy all the way to execution, and we absolutely love partnering with them. So if you, dear listeners, are thinking of launching a podcast, which you definitely should, by the way, we recommend having a conversation with our favorite people over at Share Your Genius. Now let's get into it. I'm going full glam. I love the it. Pod. I love it. Pod gets glam. You and Brooklyn got not as glam for me. From me, <laughs> Brooklyn prefers that. Brooklyn doesn't really like too much glam. Yeah, I needed to grunge for Brooklyn. Yeah, that's like that's Brooklyn style. If you'd come in all glam, they'd be like, "Go to Manhattan, biatch." <laughs> You're in true. the wrong hood. Get yeah, over into Manhattan. Or in like, especially Williamsburg, it's like a grunge facade because all their rich mommies and daddies are buying them like designer grunge looking clothes. Which is your wardrobe. Basically. Um, okay. So we, this is actually, so we did a survey recently in, for our Substack subscribers asking folks what they we're interested in hearing more about or hearing about for the first time. And one of our followers, listeners suggested something we did not cover at all. Which is hysterical. I feel like that was a blind spot for us. Right. Like we should have done that. So thank you, dear listener. And this one was all about why marketers and sales leaders struggle to kumbaya. Hmm. And why, like, why is there friction there? What's going on? But Margaret, you, you saw this and you yeah. were like, heck yeah. It's so funny. Cause I'd say that like, I both haven't, like, I love salespeople personally, <laughs> personally, big fan. Um, we need them. So while I haven't necessarily felt that friction point, I have seen it happen. And actually I had coffee with a sales leader that I previously worked with this morning. And he was joking around that like, everyone likes to point fingers and the easiest ones to point is like sales and marketing. <laughs> and then we so went even true. further and I'm like, but if you can get together and both point at product, <laughs> that is alignment. <laughs> But that is totally unjust, even if a lot of problems could be solved with the product team doing exactly what sales and marketing wanted them to do. But no. We live in a different universe for that to happen. (laughs) We were joking that like maybe it's that everyone likes to point fingers. But no, I did think about this when this when we saw this from our subscriber. And I the reason that it resonated with me is I I think it's really uh, relatively similar to the CEO, founder, head of marketing problem where I think there's just like nobody sat down and really talked about what are the words that we use? Why do they matter? Are we actually using the same definition for the same thing? What's the handoff look like? Are we both aligned and roll up to the same company goals? I think oftentimes it's just like not being in the same room together. And I think that the more that sales and marketing can, to your point, kumbaya, the better. 
And also I can see why it happens, right? Like marketers are so focused on MQLs instead of SQLs, right? And it doesn't matter even what you're calling them, but but there can be by by even defining things and using different definitions, that to me is a signal that oftentimes you're not actually having productive conversations and you're not going and aligning around similar things. I've seen that blame game before. Yeah. Of oh, marketing isn't bringing us like sure they're bringing us in all these like form inputs. Yeah but none of them are qualified or only a small percentage are qualified. And that's definitely something I've heard multiple times. Also, the another thing that I've seen, actually, this was at a company that I worked for where it's a wrong sales leader fit. Hmm. And I noticed this specifically with startups where we brought in a sales leader from a big company like a Salesforce or Adobe or whatever. And they're used to having a team supporting them. And I remember this one person coming in, perfectly nice guy. He's like, who builds my deck for me? He looked over at marketing and I was like, you're going to have to look somewhere else because I'm doing three different types of marketing support right now for this entire company. And I have one teammate. So it's like, you know, kind of heck no. But that was something else that I've seen too, is if you bring in someone who's too big and we see this a lot with people who have worked at these big companies, they're like, I don't know. I just want to go to a startup. I'm like, no, <laughs> like think no. this through. Do you like you to do everything all by yourself? <laughs> no. <laughs> and be yelled at for it. It's true. I mean, I have literally seen people from big companies come in and crumble yeah. at startups because they weren't used to taking verbal abuse constantly and have nothing, no support, and then be blamed for it. So they're like, yeah. but I, but I also think to your point, like in larger enterprises and especially companies that have existed for a long time that have such a strong sales-led motion, marketing just does whatever sales wants them to do. And I think as we look towards especially businesses that are relying on like product-led growth or that big need big marketing funnels in order to get people either into the product or even if that's a sales-assisted motion, what happens is that the marketing leader has to sit with the sales leader and say, hey, listen, my job is split into two things, right? And we've talked about like my definition, two things that marketing is responsible for. The first one is to like saturate all these channels and make sure everyone knows about us so that when we identify signals of readiness, we can convert those people to go talk to you as easily as possible. So yes, half of my job or part of my job or some percentage of my job is to recognize I, like intent signals and get those people to go talk to you. But I have this other thing that I have to do, right? Yeah. And like that takes up time and resources and bandwidth. And I will be over there doing that. And if like, I think you don't sit down with your sales leader, they can think of that as like arts and crafts or like, oh, you're just playing around with video or you're doing whatever, then I don't understand why you're not delivering me leads. That's a really important conversation to have, which is, hey, sales, look at all of marketing's goals and responsibilities. This is the percentage that I can give you for maybe some sales collateral or maybe some whatever it is, or let's make sure that the leads I'm passing you over are the ones that will convert right now. And this yeah. is the other thing that I was actually taking a shower before this podcast thinking about it. And I was like, sales is all about right now, right? Who is the person that will convert today, tomorrow, maybe in six months, right? Like depending on your sales cycles. 
marketing's responsibility is to create awareness and demand for not only those people, but also people that might convert in three years. And I think that that can be a really strong misalignment is when sales is so focused on the here and now and marketing might look a little spacey because they're focused on creating the market or saturating the market that might convert in three years, doing that work that's just like a little bit further downstream and prioritizing as much as you can to deliver what sales needs, but also still recognize that you are not sales, you are marketing and you're marketing for a reason, I think can be really challenging. Yeah. It occurs to me that what you're talking about is a very specific type of go-to-market program that involves marketing and sales. And what you're talking about to me is a business unit problem. Like This is the CEO to a certain extent CFO issue, which is I understand why sales leaders are stressed out if your program depends on marketers for all of your leads, like you're a one person marketing shop, you don't have time to prospect, like your job is to convert existing leads, but you also have your own revenue target. And so if you're not getting the leads that you like qualified leads that you need to convert into revenue, well now guess what? your performance is called into question. And so you're naturally going to point over at marketing and be like, well, guess what? The the promise that you made is I was going to get what I needed to convert this. And I'm a one-person shop, et cetera. So in that case, I think that does make sense. But then that's why I think it boils up to the C-suite team, which is, hey, if you came up with something and it's not working, you need to be the one to look at this and not point fingers but analyze, talk to those both of those teams and say, what do you need? Because a yeah. sales leader, of course, they're focused on right now. That's their target. And that kind of leads me to the other side, which is sort of the corporate sales versus the sort of like startup sales, which is my friend, a good friend of mine has worked at sales, you know, Adobe, Okta, Yext. She's now at another company and she doesn't talk about marketing at all. She never has anything to say about marketing. She has a very specific territory. She has a very specific list of companies within that territory that she's allowed to prospect and develop relationships with. And then the potential, the sort of projected sales from that is like her OTE or whatever. So she doesn't have anything to say because part of her job is to go get those because it's all about like you're doing sales on a higher level. This is more enterprise style where like you have to develop these relationships you're trying to sell in a software that goes into like, we're talking thousands of seats per company. And same with Cisco, right? We weren't talking about sales as much, although I that could have just not been a visibility for me. The challenge with them was they had the corporate marketing team and then the developer marketing team. Corporate marketing was like PR, brand, top level awareness, ads, you know, all of that. And their biggest struggle between the two of those was there were so many businesses that Cisco had acquired underneath that it was hard for both teams to get ahead and feel like they could execute a marketing strategy because there's a lot of internal requests. And that's very, very common when you see this kind of marketing as an internal agency because the company's so large. So there is like this, it's such a different, like that challenge presents differently dramatically, in my opinion, based on the size of the company and the way, like whatever their sales 
structure or whatever you want to call it is. What you're touching on there, which I think is really interesting, is she got a target audience, like a target list of accounts based on signals of readiness that somebody somewhere was like, hey, this is the right type of company within the right size that has the ability to purchase our software. Like she got her target account list based on like possible intent signals, uh, firmographic intent signals, and marketers only think about behavioral intent signals. And that's a really interesting thing because marketers could create much smarter programs if they think about it in terms of like, what is that target account list look like? And can I create, I mean, ABM this does this, say, it's right? account-based marketing. Yeah. But I think that like I d- understanding like that your intent signals could be either behavioral things that somebody is like, hey, I'm ready or hey, I'm interested or hey, I'm Googling or hey, I'm filling out a form. But also, hey, this company just reached the size or hey, this company just had an IPO. And that tends to be the type of person that we can sell into. No, marketers to broaden that understanding, I think can be really, really impactful. Oh my gosh. And so we've been talking a lot about things like community building and greater personalization, targeting smaller groups within your marketing strategy. It's like, what if account-based marketing was evolved into a marketing program that included like several custom streams based on smaller groups and their specific behaviors. And that to me would be really interesting because on the, cons- like the cut, co- the people that I'm consulting with, or even just like friends who ask my advice on what they're doing, I often look at what they're doing with their marketing program. I'm like, you like these two things you're doing over here, aren't doing anything for you. Like, why are you still spending money on them? Like yeah. fire the person that owns that. I'm talking about like a contract, an agency or like an, you know, I'm just like, okay, if you have, if you're contracting this out, like get, get rid of those people, you can save, you know, whatever your $6,000 a month on that. And so I'm constantly telling people to do less. Yeah. And what you're talking about is a really cool ad and it would, would require deeper work in smaller areas not necessarily longer timelines. I think if you got some kind of program together, it would maintain at a certain level. But, you know, I think it would have to, you'd have to completely transform how you measure. It's like maybe there's two different departments then. It's like you've got the brand, you know, the one person who's like going out there and spreading messaging. And then you've got your sort of ABM style marketer who's creating a series of bespoke programs for different smaller groups so maybe incorporating some of the sales mindset, but executing like a community builder and a marketer, this must already exist. Did I just say something that definitely, are, it does, it exists already. But no, I think this is the thing is, I think people get lost still in tactics and they don't think about this, which is what we're talking about is, can you build that machine? And again, you don't care what that program is underneath it as long as it works and you're going to have to experiment to figure out what works. But no, I don't think many people are thinking about building this machine. And that second part that I think that you're saying is like that team's responsible for identifying and understanding signals of readiness, right? Whether those are intent-based hand raises or also just like firmographic things that would be make them a part of a target list and understanding what programs help convert those people to do whatever it is, get into the product, talk to sales, whatever. And that's their job is like, do I understand what readiness looks like? 
to be in a marketing funnel or a sales funnel? And can I get that person to do that? Right. And the other people's job is to your point of like, let's saturate, let's make sure that everyone that's possibly could ever buy us maybe in five years knows who we are and likes us. Right. Yeah. They're more proactive. Two different types of marketing. Yeah. Like the brand team becomes a more long-term proactive. Yeah. And then this other team becomes a more like the sort of short, medium-term proactive, right? Where it's like, it's they're focused on now and short future. Although yeah. I would say, I think what keeps tripping me up, and this is totally not that important, but I wouldn't say a signals of readiness because the idea is that I think it's more product market fit. When you go in making a product and you've got to the place where you've figured out, okay, this is what it is. It's like, you know who you want to buy your product, basically. Yep. Like, you know who they are because that was part of your research. And so I would say, like, that's really what it is. Is like, we are, our product serves this type of company at this stage of revenue with this level of progress. And, you know, like, they need security really bad at this point. And then you could split it out any number of different ways. It can be, oh, well, to sell into, like, it could be category-based yeah. or it could be on a role base. But I think this is the interesting thing too, is that when I think about sales asking for stuff from marketing, I often, outside of like leads, <laughs> I oftentimes think of, what is that, that Henry Ford quote? I don't know if this actually, he ever said it, but it was like that if I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. And I do think that there's something here where sales folks are like, hey, is there a one pager? Is there a white paper? Is there a deck? Is there a whatever? Is there a case study? The thing that I saw most value from back in my days at Envision is our content programs and a couple of them, including the Inside Design series, was so exclusive and so, dare I say, sexy, even though I hate that word in a B2B context. It was so interesting to our core target audience to be part of that content program that that was an offer that we allowed salespeople for certain select accounts to offer up hey, do you want to be featured in this thing? And so what they might be asking for is a case study, but what they really might want is something that's so exclusive that they can use it as a carrot in the sales process to dangle in front of somebody to get them on the call or to get them to get them to have another decision maker join the call, whatever it might be. Bringing people on your podcast. Carrots. They just want carrots. Give yeah. salespeople carrots that they can use in their sales process. And I guarantee you it's probably not a white paper. Yeah. I mean, well, or maybe it is, right? Like, so like, it's never a white paper. <laughs> the point, I think the point that you're making though, is one, if a salesperson has to ask for basic sales enablement content, then the people running your company are doing it wrong because you should be Say setting more about up that <laughs> because it's absurd to me that you would be like, okay, I'm going to hire a marketing team. I'm going to hand, hand hire a sales team and Marketing's job is in part to send leads to sales. I'm not going to prioritize that in any way. And I'm letting that person decide their own priorities. And I'm letting sales decide their own priorities. Then it comes as a request to marketing when really those two people should be in cahoots from the get-go and creating like the marketing program should be developed in cahoots with the sales team so they can predict the needs, have them delivered in a timely fashion and work that in with the priorities of marketing and then present that as a unified team to, you know, your C-suite. But it's like, why? Like, it's so backwards to me how this is done. And I've seen it so many times. I'm like, 
I've seen also like either if the sales leader or the marketing leader is already in seat, I've seen them not even be on the interview panel for the other person. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Y'all should be best friends. You know, you should be calling each other and like hanging out and like drinking coffee or drinks or whatever you like to drink. Yeah. When I worked at Help Scout, Tim Tyne was running sales. And I think when I started, it was just him. And he was a treasure trove for me in terms of what do you need around? Like we were doing a webinar. We were, we were leaning into webinars at one point and we had this mid funnel team. Not to date you. (laughs) Not to hate you. (laughs) Seriously. Webinars Um, were new and hot. We were just experimenting with them. (laughs) Oh my God. No, they were a thing. It took half my time there just to convince them that they can, you can still be genuine and still do marketing, which we achieved very well. But anyway, I remember going to him about content for an article that was going to be helpful to him. And he knew some of these pain points. So I could go to him for pain points and then write an article about it that then helps him. Right. But it's like, that helped both of us. Yeah. It made us look good. It helped him. And that made it more fun for me. It gave me more ideas. Like, I don't understand this idea of silos in that way and why you wouldn't incentivize or almost require collaborative planning. You have to think that through. You can't just say, okay, you have goals and you have goals. You have to say, okay, if these two areas are fundamentally linked, then that's how they, that's how you at the very top can incentivize the behavior that you want to see and the collaboration without having to step in and say, well, you need to collaborate, right? Yeah, be friends now. I think oftentimes a lot of marketers are like, I would love to talk to my customers more, my prospects more, but I never get a chance to, right? And it's like, do you know who is talking to them all day long? The sales team. Yeah. <laughs> And thank God for things like gong and and chorus and whatever that you can listen in. But what's even more helpful, I think, is if you can befriend folks on the sales team, whether you're the marketing leader or just somebody that is an individual contributor in marketing, and go and see if you can have them slip in a couple questions for you in terms of, hey, what are you been reading lately? Hey, if if you're, you know, in this job, what are how do you get your information on what's happening in the industry? Where do you go? Right? Yep. That can be such a treasure trove and it can look like banter or shooting the shit for the salesperson at the beginning of the call, but for the marketing team, it's like rich insights about maybe things that they should be investing in or maybe topics that they should be exploring. And so, I think that's a huge place of it too where it's like marketers you don't have to then call up all of these folks in the prospect journey and do another marketing call with them about all these things, just like befriend those salespeople and see if you can just get a, a couple things dropped into their, their normal cadence of questions that they ask on the call. Yeah. And that's the part where community building comes in too. So like the hub that we built that was like, it was called help you. And it had, you know, categorized our blog based on sort of like learning categories for customer support folks. There was a like events and stuff. We had content series that featured like help desk tips. So people at there, so now all of a sudden these customer service folks are offering advice and their company is being featured. So talking more about the carrots, but from the other side is like now this come or like we did humans of support. So support people were being celebrated and they're talking about customer support they're doing at that company. Yeah. And then, you know, this whole strategy of people starting a podcast 
and inviting guests at companies that they want to work with and developing a relationship that way. Like talk about a carrot. Now you're helping sales, like you're developing a relationship on behalf of sales first. Content marketing as a Trojan horse to break into an account is chef's kiss amazing, except the program has to be cool. Yeah. <laughs> right? If it's the first time like you've ever spun up a podcast and you're trying to use it as a carrot, people are like, I don't know who you are. So that still doesn't work. If you figure out how to get the best people who owe you something to be the first couple guests on the podcast so you can say, hey, you want to be on a podcast? I've also featured people like XYZ. That becomes a carrot. Yeah. Right. And so I think the interesting thing is it's not just about creating something and expecting it to be a carrot. You have to do the work to make it feel exclusive, cool, something worthy of being a carrot. And I think that that spot gets missed sometimes. And it's like, I have something. Do you want to be on it? And it's like, no. <laughs> I mean, I do. I want to be on everything. So I think there was like the guest post phase where it's like, yeah. if you did guest posts, you could invite customer, but that's a way bigger investment. It takes a lot more work. And, you know, if you expand your concept of content, this whole idea of like executive dinners where it's like your CEO, your salesperson goes and you all have this like beautiful dinner. Well, guess what? We did that for customer service people at South by Southwest. We just invited like 10 people to a dinner and they were like hugging us at the end. And it was just like me and Emily Triplett Lenz, who was a writer at the time. Gosh, I love her. I feel like I talk to her like maybe every two years. <laughs> I'm always like, you're incredible. I know. I remember when I met her, she had that sort of help scout ethos of like marketing is bad. Yeah. And once I got her to like see that marketing, I was like, it can work. Like you can do this. She's like, no. And then she's like, now she's like a total badass. I love seeing that like evolution. But yeah, so it's like you could be doing that. Like you could host a meetup at, you know, for at a level where people are like, I don't want to sit down at your like boring dinner. Like I want to just like hang out and play video games or like. Yeah. Then you can do for like the managers, directors. Okay, let me give you an example. When we used to go to events at Help Scout, and we would usually sponsor, so like support driven, we would always sponsor it. And we usually had someone speaking at it. I would go in and it was all about infiltration at every level, like recording humans of support. We had our own room and we were like recording interviews there and giving stuff away. And that was generating content that we could use throughout the year. Having the t-shirts, like the, every time it was a new drop and everybody was lining up waiting and they're like, oh, they got used to seeing, you know, me and Matt and Emily. And so there was the value of that. If you're paying money for events and for a big event and you're going into that hall with the table and whatever, I don't think that that's enough value considering in those cases, you're spending tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. There's so much more you can get out of those sponsorships if you think about it between like it is a sales exercise, a marketing exercise. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a company that I was advising called Paradigm did that for one of these conferences that they went to. They actually snuck in. They did not have a booth and they snuck in a bunch of books and games 
and left them on the like tables. And some of the books were about like recharging or like, you know, how to like the difference between extroverts and introverts. And then the the games that they left were all about like ice breaking and conversations. And it, all of them had like little notes or cards in them saying like gifted to you by paradigm, like hope that you have a great conference. And instead of doing a booth where they paid 40 grand and just like sat there amongst everyone else, they were able to like saturate the channel with something that was differentiated, but also meaningful. And I I think that's so interesting because you don't have to have a big budget, right? It's not that, oh, I have all this money and I can spend it. It's what is something that is going to break through the noise and how can I do that at every level, right? To your point of like, Every single level, there was something exclusive, like that was a little bit more interesting, maybe more of a carrot for your sales team to bring people to that dinner. But then there was also something that was really open to just like, let's get a lot of content, a lot of feedback from these folks. Let's make sure everyone that we talk to feels important. And you can do that at every level and you don't have to pay tens of thousands of dollars for a booth and sit there with everyone else. Bring it back to sales, which is like, yes, and events are fantastic for that brand piece, but that's also how you break through gives an opportunity for your AEs or whoever's from your sales team there on the ground to your point, have a more meaningful conversation because it's not just like, I'm going to stand at this booth and wait for somebody to come up to me and hopefully it's the right fit. It's let me make sure that if the marketing is team is doing really cool stuff, the conversations are already flowing. There's more people attracted to it. And it does produce better leads for your sales team at these events to have your experience be more popular, right? And it's oh. so silly, but it's like, yeah, the bigger the brand reach, it's like a, it's like a, at events, it's like a mini marketing to sales funnel. The bigger your brand reach, the more it resonates, the more <laughs> it actually thought. works. But another company that I'm advising right now, just did this at a conference where they went and they they had a booth, but they changed their booth into an activation of being like a mocktail bar. And so th- I think that they had maybe some person demoing products around somewhere, but their whole booth was because they're branding themselves as a, a more like high-end option, right? Mm-hmm. They're like trying to break through the noise and be like a luxury brand almost in the software space. And so by doing that, they had like a luxury mocktail bar at this conference and they had the longest line, right? And then the sales team gets access to all of those people's information and all of those people are now more interested and even getting into the sales process. Yeah. And so it's like fun stuff like that. Like you don't have to just be like, oh, I guess we'll wrap the booth in our brand message and stand there with a laptop and maybe put a demo on the screen. Like I want to put my head through a wall, you know? Yes. Like you we're do a great Eeyore voice, by the way. I love your Eeyore voice. <laughs> it was, that was the best I've ever heard. A lot of practice. <laughs> And like, what if you leaned into this like exclusivity and word of mouth concept and abstracted that so that when you're thinking about your strategy for events, for example, since we're on this train, a conference, your marketing team goes and they're building trust by having more personalized conversations across like greater groups of people, right? Your sales team are targeting maybe people who are like further along in the relationship building, or maybe they're talking to a higher up person or whatever. So it makes sense to do a one-on-one. So then all of a sudden, 
Marketing isn't like collecting leads in a bucket. They're connecting with humans that they are then introing to sales mm -hmm. later. They're asking those initial questions or, you know, just developing a relationship like, hey, oh yeah, like blah, blah, blah. Look, I can introduce you to my salesperson just to have an info conversation. To and your point like of like, thanks so much for recording that piece of insight for our blog program. Yeah. Let me pass you over here. Absolutely. Yep. Like there's so many untapped opportunities for marketing and sales to work together to see, have greater impact. It's not this like cumbersome, like I have to add to my plate to serve you. Yeah. It's like, what if we could share filling the plate yeah. and support each other? So like all of a sudden we have 15 minutes more per day. <laughs> And I was on a podcast the other day that, and I almost actually didn't get as much fight on LinkedIn as I thought it was going to. Everyone was being very polite. But what I said on this podcast was that I used to think sales was harder than marketing. And now my understanding of that has completely flipped because in sales, you get to talk to one person, you get to understand them, you get to even like do some research and on their motivation and on their challenges, and you can tailor the pitch to them. And marketing is doing all of that at scale, but not diluting it to the point that it doesn't matter, doesn't mean anything, still maintaining like the sharpness of it, but making sure it resonates with more than just one person. And I think that yeah. that's really interesting and really challenging. And if you think about just that split where it's like sales's job is to do that one-on-one -on -one. it's like a scalpel right or maybe with a certain company or with a certain team or whatever it is and marketing's responsibility to do this like up funnel and at scale i think it helps kind of create that shared team where it's like your sales team are your surgeons and your marketing team is your i don't know where this metaphor is going no, but it's I, your I yeah, the I triage like and the nurses and the everything. And then you bring in your, your scalpel at the end. Well, yeah, because I mean, it is still a nice pairing because marketing's job is to abstract a little bit and name those repeating challenges that people in your target, in your community are facing. And then the sales team's job is to identify which problems apply to that company and in what ways because there's always a little bit of nuance. So they get like, to your point, like they get super specific. Yeah. Whereas like marketing is more just a diagnosis. Yeah. But I do think that the thing that I'll go back to is like, hey, marketers, you know where you can find repeatable challenges that your customer is dealing with? Your sales team or on their <laughs> sales calls. And also sales team, if you have to repeat something, if you have to educate a prospect on something on multiple calls, or you have to, sorry, if you have to educate a multiple prospects on the same thing and you find yourself repeating something that you need to educate them, please go tell your marketing team. But also, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to the same thing. If that is how your marketing and sales function is operating, then it's inefficient and wrong. And I will also go back to this isn't a sales and marketing problem to solve exclusively. Your company goals for each those departments need to facilitate the yeah. actions that are desired. And that includes how those two leaders operate together. This is where I think it gets broken is they're like, well, we have this like head of growth and there's, or a CM or whatever the, it's not a CMO, CRO. Thank you. And it's like, 
okay, well, in marketing and sales and customer support, just aggregating those teams under one person doesn't solve the problem. You have to orient their goals to make it desirable, make them enthusiastic about it, have it generate ideas in order for it to work. And so like, I really honestly, you know, there's only so much that at the department level that you can change. And I've seen that firsthand multiple times. It needs to be incentivized by the structure at the top. And they need to have an understanding that that's what works. And yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay, y'all, that's a wrap. Thank you, as always, for listening. We'll be back next week. And just remember, you're doing great. You're doing great. I mean- of you are doing great. The rest, you got to get your shit together. Come on. You know, you know which side you're on this week. You know. (laughs) You know. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Devin, what do you like most about salespeople? I love salespeople. (laughs) Do you like salespeople? (laughs) Do you like salespeople? I do. I have a very soft spot in my heart for salespeople. Like real salespeople, not people who call you on the phone. No, like I'm in person, like I, you know, where they send you flowers or cupcakes. (laughs) They're usually, they have no qualms about throwing down the company card. (laughs) Oh, no. And it's their boundaries for what is an expense tends to be on the more generous side. Yeah. Like, I want to tell people, I'm like, if you have something to offer, like, I'm here for it. Like, do you want to take me out to dinner? Do you want to buy me drinks? Do you want to buy me a cake? Would I like to go on a trip? A trip. I will will pretend to care about what you're saying because most of the time people aren't offering anything. And so you're somebody who's confident. And your whole job is to make me happy and give me stuff. I'm like, understand what I want to hear and then say those words into my sweet little ear. Yeah.